President. As he built his national reputation, he impressed upon the citizens of America an unassailable ideal that we take for granted in the 21st century, participatory democracy. This book addresses deep and delicate questions about a figure from our national past who looms so large in social memory that he is primarily evaluated on the basis of selective re-readings of familiar texts. My aim is somewhat different. Distrustful of smooth biographical narratives that question only so far, I'm interested in the unfamiliar that was familiar to Jefferson. This study is built upon an appreciation for the particular spectrum of knowledge and feeling that characterized the 18th and early 19th centuries an alien medical environment, sexual attitudes unlike our own, literary and aesthetic considerations, as well as the more obvious and more prominent in modern minds aspects of political competition and race relations. I want the reader to grasp, as fully as possible, what conditioned Thomas Jefferson's mind. Throughout his life Jefferson used language in a distinctive manner. His consciousness of his audience has a lot to do with why, these many generations later, we continue to appreciate his democratic political genius and his lively, comforting expressions. But what if we are only scratching the surface of his meaning? DNA connecting his genetic material to that of the offspring of one of his slaves has recently suggested that key facets of his life remain poorly understood. His revolutionary romance with a written word is only one part of what binds us to him, for reasons having to do with the risks he took both as a private man and as a public figure, everyone, it seems, wants to discover Jefferson's secrets. We start at death and move backward through his retirement, because that is how an emotive Jefferson is to be found, and how, consequently, we can add meaning to many of his earlier writings. In the lesser-known texts of his post-presidential years, he presents a retrospective few have ventured to study until now. He looks back on his long life in the decidedly sensual terms of enjoyment and suffering, ease and dis-ease. Most critically, I find, he invokes a comprehensive language of medicine past that historical investigators have tended to ignore. We have been shut off from that vocabulary and it is one that will make Jefferson appear less secretive when we better understand it. No label is all-embracing. We must take care in describing Jefferson, because his tendencies vary. Like a poet, he cannot dismiss mortality when he writes of community. Like a philosopher, he is involved with systems of knowledge and morality, and least familiar of all, like a physiologist, he looks elementally at the body's natural responses, pain and pleasure mechanisms, drives and motivations, and tries to comprehend how human beings can thrive in such a stormy yet fertile environment as the earth we know. Politics is much the same for him, an environment both stormy and fertile. He constantly inquires about conditions. When, as a political leader, he draws upon his and his society's deep concern with neurophysiological symptoms, he invariably describes psychological effects. Invoking the agonizing spasms of infuriated man, or the agitations of the public mind, tickled nerves, or frigid insensibility, Jefferson manifestly lets us know how he is feeling about America's prospects. 
This is an encompassing theme within the pages of Jefferson's Secrets. In attempting a closer examination of Jefferson's mind, I am introducing two conspicuous methods of discovery, reading and interpreting the consciousness-raising, sympathy-generating language of eighteenth-century health science that he relied on so heavily, and, in a broader sense, emphasizing the relatively uncensored Jefferson that exists in the least studied writings of his retirement years, 1809 to 1826. His large body of papers for the post-presidential period have been selectively reprinted. Jefferson left a treasure trove of unceremonious writings yet to be compared to those already published. This book will not bring an end to all arguments about Jefferson, but it should help distance him from the mounting prejudices of modern biographers. I resuscitate Thomas Jefferson long enough to pose certain questions that he has answered subtly in the personal documents of his late years. What did this prodigious reader and ruminator take from books? What kind of America did he envision? How might we, from so great a cultural distance, be misjudging him? In short, what was the extent and what were the limits of his imagination? We have lost touch with Jefferson's imagination, and that is a shame. Of course, Jefferson cannot partake of our imaginations. On the high-priority, rather touchy subject of race, for instance, some read his sensitive words about human rights, which we take to define the democratic ethos, and conclude that Jefferson lost a good deal of sleep over slavery. Others believe that, with cowardly abstention, he turned his back on black America. Indeed, on all of us in the twenty-first century. We need to find a way to approach historical problems without allowing our own emotional baggage to overwhelm the discussion. On the equally interesting and related subject of his sexual imagination, we need to consult at-home medical guides and the popular literature he and his family owned. We need to contend with unquestioned class privilege and the understood options men possessed, as well as the disjunction common to all periods of history between what people said and what they did. This is a complex subject that necessarily takes us beyond the limits of Jefferson's Virginia surroundings, and yet it was as close to his heart as his reading and writing in Greek. What we might consider indelicate or an unpersuasive logic might have been entirely defensible when Jefferson lived. The reader should approach this book with an open mind. Too often the stubbornness that directs modern ideologies shuts off valuable discussion. I hope to launch a more honest conversation about Jefferson, race, and sex than historians and others have engaged in of late. When DNA testing in 1998 sexually linked A. Jefferson to Jefferson's slave Sally Hemings, two extreme opinions emerged. Either Jefferson and Hemings were in love in a way we should be able to recognize, or a relative of Thomas Jefferson's had slept with Hemings because the President was morally above such behavior. Good historical inquiry should never stop. That is what law professor Annette Gordon-Reed believed in challenging a consensus in 1997. In her dogged and timely analysis, Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings' An American Controversy, and unaware that a DNA solution was about to be attempted, she reopened the door to this discussion. Just because DNA appears to have made our task, did he or didn't he, easier, we should not close the door now.
There is much we do not know about the Jefferson-Hemmings relationship, and the last thing we should do is to impose twenty-first-century views of sex on eighteenth-century people, so that their relationships make sense. First, the unusual emotional considerations facing a mixed-race couple in, say, the 1950s or 1990s cannot be compared to those of Jefferson's time and place. Second, there is no universal structure for human sexual response. We do not share in eighteenth-century sexual attitudes, and we should not guess at Jefferson's or Hemings's feelings according to modern notions of love and sex. It is silly to deny that sexuality has a history. Third, we should admit that part of what impels the popular imagination today is the desire to protect the historical reputation of Thomas Jefferson, or to construct one for Sally Hemings, or both at once, by concluding that they were a romantic couple. As a slave, she had only a limited range of options, and all we know about her is what her son told a newspaper reporter decades after her death. He referred to her as Jefferson's concubine. He made no allusion to affectionate feelings of any kind. Thus the conversation begun by Gordon Reed should continue. In the pages that follow, Jefferson writes about politics, sex, race, and religion in ways that complement, but in significant ways alter, his better-known writings. The musings of his later years, Jefferson's lost words, as it were, offer valuable insights into his inner life. I wish to suggest that our knowledge of him is incomplete if we fail to obtain a clearer picture of these years. We shall see how intensely conscious he was of his role in history, though he was retired from politics.